Amato's fifth quarter is partnered with the Inner Sanctum. The Inner Sanctum, founded in 2020, is the new ball game in sports journalism, which aims to take you behind the closed doors of sporting clubs around the country in an effort to tell the stories of those on the field. Visit the Inner Sanctum at www.theinnersanctum.com.au as well as following them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. The Inner Sanctum, unique interviews, unique content for you. This is Travis Stokes. This is Greg Oddy. This is Carson Edwards. This is Brett Maher. This is Dale Pickett. This is Eugene Greenwich. This is Kevin Brooks. This is Jack Fitzpatrick. This is Dale McDonald. This is Sam Jacobs. This is Cal Brooks. This is Marcus Burris. This is Sean Redditch. This is Tony Spackenthal. This is Andrew Blahoff. This is Graham Corn. This is Brian Curl. This is Jason Ackermanis. This is Chris McDermott. This is Mike Ellis. This is Kevin Lich. And you're listening to Amato's Fifth Quarter. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Amato's Fifth Quarter. I'm your host, Dan, and today is a big, big episode because 23. Now, 23 is one of the biggest number, or one of the most famous numbers, I should say, in sporting history. I mean, rattle off four names off the tongue straight away. We've got Lance Franklin, we've got Andrew McLeod, Shane Warne, and possibly one of the greatest sportsmen of all time, Michael Jordan. So 23 is a big number in sport. And to celebrate today, we've got a really, really, really special guest. We've got dual NBL MVP and 2010 NBL champion and Larry Sengstock medalist, Kevin Lish, who's joining me tonight. Now, Kevin Lish, originally from Belleville, Illinois, is the son of Rusty Lish, who was a former NFL player. So basically, from day one, Kevin Lish was always going to play sport in some capacity, and he ended up choosing basketball. Now, in this episode, we talk about a range of different topics, including his incredibly successful college career, coming to the NBL, winning that 2010 championship with the Perth Wildcats, which was which was a drought-breaking championship for the Perth Wildcats. It sounds funny to say that because they've won so much, but 10 years in between championships, 2000 to 2010, for the Perth Wildcats, that's a lifetime. Uh, we talk about spending some time in Europe. We talk about the Illawarra Hawks season, that one season he had there uh, in Wollongong. We talk about going to the Sydney Kings and winning his second MVP. And, uh, of course, we talk about the 2019-20 Grand Final Series, which ended up being his final season in the NBL and how it was cancelled due to the, the, the COVID-19 pandemic. And we take his... And I ask him sort of his take on that and, and how he feels about the Perth Wildcats being named the champions for that season. We also talk about his boomers career. Of course, he was born in America, but he is uh, now naturalized and represented Australia at the 2016 Rio Olympic Games for the boomers and and that decision made with Paddy Mills. So we get his take on that. And that was really, really interesting. So throughout his NBL career, from 2009 to 2020, he played a total of 231 games for the Sydney Kings, the Illawarra Hawks, and the Perth Wildcats, amassing 3,441 points, 705 rebounds, 673 assists. He is a one-time NBL champion in 2010, where he also won the Larry Singstock medal, so he's a one-time NBL Grand Final MVP. He is a two-time league MVP, which is the highest individual award you can win in the NBL in 2010 and 2016. He is a three-time All-NBL first-teamer in 2012, 2013, and 2016. He is a one-time NBL best defensive player in 2016. He's a one-time NBL scoring champion in 2012, 
and is, of course, a one-time Australian Boomers Olympic squad member in that 2016 Rio Olympic Games. So so an incredible resume there. Uh, he's a lovely guy to chat to, and I think you're going to all enjoy this episode. So from the Perth Wildcats, Illawarra Hawks, Sydney Kings, and the Australian Boomers, it's Kevin Lish about to come onto the ground. Defence superb from Lish, down to two on the shot clock. That is magnificent, and Lish has given it to him. Lish gets one. Oh, that oh, is my goodness. Welcome back to Amato's fifth quarter, and today we've got an absolute icon of the NBL, two-time MVP. We've got Kevin Lish on the show. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to it. Kevin, it's been now, almost, well, basically a year now since you, you officially retired from the NBL. How has the first year of retirement treated you, and, and how have you adjusted to life now no longer being a professional athlete? Yeah, it's, it's well, I think it's been a weird time for everyone, so I think... Uh, my retirement probably felt different in the fact that um, I think everyone it was in a different situation. So I guess I really didn't feel uh, too left out in that. But I've had a, a nice transition into uh, coaching with the Kings this past season, uh, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed. And um, to be honest, I, I didn't even know if I'd get into coaching right away. But uh, I tried it out and I got the itch and, and just loved it. So, was uh, was coaching or staying involved in the in the game something you always wanted to do post basketball? Well, I had to retire a bit earlier than I had originally planned, and and started to get on the court with the guys in, in a coaching capacity, and then just started really loving it. So, just to take you back to the start, so you were you're born and raised in America. Obviously, you're originally from Belleville in Illinois. And, of course, your father, Rusty, is a former NFL player. He was a quarterback for the St. Louis Cardinals and also the Chicago Bears. Can you just give us a bit of a, an insight into to your upbringing and, and some of your family life? Yeah, sure. So we were always a, a pretty, I guess, athletic family who loved playing sports. I have an older sister, a younger sister, and a younger brother, and we're all within a couple of years of each other. So... You know, both my sisters played Division One basketball. My brother played Division One basketball for a little. So we grew up just playing in the yard, uh, two on two against each other. When we were little, it was girls versus boys. Um, and then, obviously, as we got older, um, we started to, to go our own separate ways a little bit. But uh, my mom and dad were right there by our side the entire way. So very close family, very competitive. And, and yeah, we had some fun times growing up. So, given the fact that your father did play football, was did you ever want to follow in your father's footsteps and, and also play football, or was basketball always your sport of choice? Yeah, basketball was pretty much always my sport of choice. He used to, to coach a bit of football, and, and I would go, I was probably five years old, go to all the practices, dressed up in all the pads and everything. Um, I guess, but when it came time to if I wanted to play I, I never really did I did soccer and track and field and obviously basketball but never got into the football and had obviously really supportive parents who uh, you know as long as I was active and sleeping well at night they were happy oh, that's awesome so you went to Althoff Catholic High School and then you proceeded on to St. Louis uh, University and that's where you really began to establish yourself as a real baller Overall, in four years there, you scored over 1,100 points and you were in the all-century team as well as being inducted into the SLU Hall of Fame. Was was this the time when you realized you could actually possibly do this and, and make a living playing basketball? You know, it's, it's funny, I guess, my, my journey. I, I had always been pretty short-sighted. So I was always, a I guess, a pretty good player in high school. and But I never look too far ahead at the the next step I was like okay here's today what, what do I have to get better at today so it always just kind of I just took it you know I guess boringly you know one or two days at a time and then even when I got to college I didn't always think okay I'm definitely going to make a living out of this it's just that was the next uh, the next step and uh, 
and yeah, I went to college 15 minutes from home, very close to my family, and then boom, before I know it, I'm halfway across the world in Perth. And that's one thing I'm, I'm really interested to ask you. Um, it was 2009 when you were signed by the Perth Wildcat. Two-part question, how did the Wildcats come about? And also, prior to signing here in Australia, did you know anything about the, the NBL or even did you know anything about Australia in general? So the Wildcats, to answer your first question, came about because my assistant coach, um, Chris Harriman, who was at St. Louis U with me, um, he's from Wollongong, I believe, and knew Rob Beveridge really well, put in a good word for me. So that was kind of my connection, my in, because obviously going to Perth, you know, your first year out of college is, is, is pretty good. So I was fortunate in that. And then, no, I did not know much about Australia, the league. In fact, the league at that time was in turmoil and it was pretty close to going under. Um, so it was, it was an interesting time for the whole league and, and for myself coming to a country that I really knew nothing about. Yeah, because as you mentioned back then in sort of like the late 2000s, early 2010s, the NBL was probably in its worst state or the, the worst state it has ever been in really. What was the, the standard of basketball back then in the NBL compared to what you experienced at SLU? And, and, and also, what, what was the standard of basketball like when you first came here compared to when you retired? Well, I, I think even though it was in a bit of turmoil, I think the standard, you know, you, you have professionals, you know, with, with grown-ups, grown men, you know, and all the strength is, is usually better than, uh, than college in a lot of ways. And I, I think that's why you're seeing a lot of guys out of high school next stars coming here, but that's, that's a different story. Um, and then as far as the progression from, you know, 2009 to 2021, um, the league has grown just exponentially in its professionalism and its, its skill, its standard of both the imports you're getting and the Aussie players. So there really is, you know, it, it's grown so much and it's been so good for the game. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely now a world-class league, which is, is fantastic because... Yeah, back back then it obviously wasn't in its greatest position. But was it hard to come to Australia and play professional ball here when you come from such a tight-knit, close family? Was it hard to leave your family and, and go to a country that you'd never been to before and you didn't know a lot about? Oh, there are a lot of hard things. I, I remember probably my second second day in Australia, you know, having a little calling card and going to payphone and calling back home. <laughs> wow. You're just waking up. You're waking up thinking geez, what am I doing here? You know, you, you don't know many people. Fortunately, you know, the Wildcats, great organization, make you feel very welcome, but still you're you're kind of deer in the headlights and, and you don't really know what you're doing. And I think probably especially early, my, uh, my play probably reflected that. But I was also fortunate to be a bit naive and, and ignorant to the uh, how, I guess, cutthroat um, professional basketball can be too. So... I, I, I guess I was fortunate in some, some ways to stick it out like that. Yeah, and that, that first season in the NBL, really, it couldn't have gone much better for you because the Wildcats under Rob Beveridge won the minor premiership with a 17-11 record. Uh, you make the grand final series against the Illawarra Hawks, who back then were still Wollongong. Game three, of course, you're the, you're the hero. You score a game-high 29 points, including five three-pointers. And the Wildcats claim the title. I'm sure that's that's one memory that really sticks out to you to, to become an NBL champion. 24-point lead to Perth. They are going to win the NBL championship of 2010. The Perth Wildcats become the most successful team in NBL history. They have won five NBL championships. No other club has done that. What a performance it was from this man, Kevin Liss. Unbelievable season high in points tonight. You came to play. Yeah, I mean, it was a total team effort. Our, you know, Robbo and Damo got us going in the backcourt. And this is unbelievable. I can't explain it. Well, your offense was sensational, but your defense was equally as good. You really seemed like you're out there and 
between you guards, you really did a great job on the uh, the Wollongong guards. We, re we really did. We got after them, and, and uh, you know, it, it's a cliche, but it was a total team effort, and uh, I just can't explain this. It's amazing. And for you coming here in your first season, first introduction to the NBL, and now you're an NBL champion. I, I don't know. You said it. You said it. No, well, Kevin, congratulations. I think you'll get some extra honours here tonight. It's been a fantastic performance by you and the Perth Wildcats. That's Kevin Lish. He was a superstar tonight. It is. It is definitely a memory, but it's funny. I guess after you retire, you kind of look back. And I actually remember more probably the preseason when we went 1-8. and eight. The first game of that season was actually in, in Wollongong. We lost. Um, I hadn't been playing really well. We went up to Townsville, hit a game winner, then lose lose cans, then had five games in a row. Like I, I remember, it's funny the details of that kind of that journey when you're <laughs> probably looking to get cut, really, and you're really struggling. And like those things, I remember a lot more than actually winning the championship. And and I think they just make the journey all that more uh, fun, and and you can really savor it because you know you, you know you've been through a bit there were you there when andrew vlahov had that spray no so andrew vlahov was i think he had just relinquished his ownership that year so i didn't have him as an owner but uh, i did have have a couple encounters with him when um you know he was still around the club and involved and i remember the preseason i hadn't been doing much and and uh, he comes up to me. He said, nice to meet you. I'm Andrew. You know, he said, <laughs> he used some choice words, but pretty much he said, shoot the ball. That's why they brought you here. <laughs> and then uh, at the, not in those words, but, uh, and then at the end of the season, he thought, he said that he thought I was going to be the first import gone. <laughs> so Did he say that, it was, really? <laughs> it was pretty funny, so. But, uh, yeah, what you see is what you get with him, and I think that's why you can respect that too. Yeah, definitely. I've had Andrew Vlahov on the show, and, yeah, he's definitely definitely one of the great, great characters of the NBL, I think, and, and someone who's probably hard when he needs to be, but, but I think he seems pretty fair as well. Yeah, so th those were the very few encounters that I've had, but he wasn't, um, he wasn't the owner at the time. All right, everyone, it's time for a quick quarter-time break here on A5Q. Recently, I've become an ambassador of Pete and Pedro, the kings of men's hair and beard grooming. The days of the caveman are now over, gentlemen. We all need to keep on top of our hygiene, cleanliness, and style too. Unfortunately, most chemist store products do not achieve this efficiently. So if you want high-quality results, you're going to have to go for high-quality products. Pete and Pedro, established in 2013, offers premium hair, beard, and grooming products and tools for any well-groomed man. These products are actually going to get in there, moisturize, rehydrate, and clean your scalp, hair, and beard thoroughly without putting a hole in your wallet. From shampoos and conditioners to hair gels and putties, beard oils, brushes, combs, and even nail clippers, Pete and Pedro has it all. Now, I would never promote a brand I did not use or trust. Guys, I've been using Pete and Pedro products for the past two years and can confidently say there are no better hair and beard products on the market. Gentlemen, if you are looking to take your hair game to that next level without breaking the bank, you've got to check out Pete and Pedro. And if you use my special discount code, DAMATO10, spelled D-A-M-A-T-O-1-0, you're going to get 10% off your purchase for a limited time only, so get in quick. The link to Pete and Pedro is down in the description below. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get back to the show. I've had Sean Redditch on the show as well, and he was talking about how there was... He felt a little bit of pressure, even though he wasn't there um, the whole time. It had been 10 years since the Wildcats last won a championship, and he said that he felt a little bit of pressure that 10 years without a championship for the Wildcats is a very long time. Did you at all feel any of that pressure as well, that you, you sort of had to do well? You know, I, I didn't. Firstly, I'm thankful that Andrew Vlahoff wasn't the owner, or else he would have sent me back on a plane pretty quickly, I think. <laughs> Second. And secondly, I didn't I didn't feel the pressure, and, and I probably should have, but I was this young kid, kind of ignorant, naive out of college, uh, trying to find my feet. And uh, fortunately, I didn't know the inner workings and how it all went. Uh, so I didn't feel too much pressure. And, and, and to be honest, I, I didn't feel too much pressure throughout my career just because 
I guess at the end of the day, it's basketball. Yeah, it's an interesting perspective. How do you feel winning the Larry Sengstock medalist as the best on court across the three games? It's obviously a massive honor. How how did that uh, how did that go down? Yeah, it, it it definitely was a massive honor, and you know I have obviously very fond memories of that season. Even that series was was an interesting series. We we win the first game and lose low scoring, lose the second, and then uh, yeah, we're down by ten or fifteen throughout that game, and all of a sudden. Yeah, we win by quite a bit, but uh, it was it was definitely a memorable year. So the next season, you finish fourth, and then you lose the semi-final. The, the next two seasons are what I really want to talk about, because 2011-12 and 12-13, uh, again, great season for you. You take home the league MVP in 2012, club MVP both 2012 and 2013, all NBL first team as well. So great personally, but but also for the club. You finish second and you make the grand final series both occasions, both against the New Zealand Breakers, but unfortunately you lose both of them. What do you think the reasons were you couldn't get the job done on both occasions? That's it. That's all she wrote. New Zealand have won three straight... NBL champions three times in a row. The New Zealand Breakers have been the best team all year long, and they get it done in two straight games. Yeah, well, New Zealand was a great team at, at that point. And, you know, geez, they they had Paul Hanari, they had Kirk Penny, one of my all-time favorite teammates when we were in Illawarra. Dylan Boucher, Kevin Braswell, C.J. Bruton, all those guys. And they were just a veteran group. And, I mean, the one thing, uh, yes, Cedric Jackson, the one thing that I remember back then, the game was so physical. And I remember in, I don't even know what year it was, but one of the years we lost to New Zealand, we win the first game in New Zealand. Um, and then they come back. And Paul Hanari starts guarding me, just face guarding, just, you know, the man is so strong and just pretty much kind of manhandling me. And yeah, I just have those, I guess, I guess they're fond memories, but um, yeah, they were just a tough team, um, played the right way. Obviously, Andre Lamont is a great coach. Um, so yeah, it, it really became quite a rivalry between Perth and New Zealand. Do you ever look at that period and think the Wildcats possibly didn't cash in as much as you could have? I mean, you, you won a championship in 2010, but you possibly could have won, you know, two, three, possibly even four in that period and created a bit of a dynasty. Do you ever think you were unlucky not to win a little bit more? Well, I mean, I think most of the teams can say that. Put it this way, New Zealand was great. They beat us and they deserved it, no, no question at all. And... I guess those things aren't maybe other people, but they don't eat away at me at all. It was uh, it was fun, it was enjoyable, competitive, and uh, and yeah, they were they were the better team those those couple years. But um, uh, I had never really even thought of that before, really. You seem pretty um, like you have a great perspective, and you don't really look at these things too deeply. Is that is that fair? Like, do you have you know it's just a game at the end of the day? Is that more your you want it? Well, I'm I'm extremely competitive. Don't don't get me wrong there, but I, I think the things I enjoyed the most aren't necessarily the things that maybe the people outside, as far as you know, MVPs or or you know championships. It's like the things that I remember the most are the little daily interactions or insignificant things, or I guess the struggles you had at certain parts or. Or, you know, getting injured last year or the year before and, and working my way back so I could play a grand final game. Like, those are the things that really I remember and everything else sometimes can be a bit fuzzy. Those first sort of four or five years in the NBL take you by surprise because you basically came in and just dominated the competition. You know, you were you won a championship, you won MVPs all NBL first teams did, did that take you as a surprise that you just had a lot of individual success I didn't re- really know what to think I, I do know that I had very very good teammates um, you know Damian Martin Brad Robbins Sean Reddish, 
Jesse Wagstaff, like all those guys, Maddie Knight. Um, I had just really good guys, you know, surrounding me that obviously made my my stuff easier. I think the thing that surprised me was how long I stayed in Australia. <laughs> I was expecting to, you know, stay a year, then go over to Europe and play. But uh, yeah, just um, I guess fell in love with it all, and and uh, yeah, I mean, I met my wife too, so <laughs> yeah, that's probably yeah. got some reason behind it. Yeah, absolutely. Did did you not when you first came to Australia? Was it not a goal, or you didn't think you'd be around that long? No, I, I pretty much had in my mind that you know, okay, I play in Perth and. Um, and then I'll probably look to go to Europe and, and get a job over there because that's what most people do and that's what you heard back then. And in fact, you know, won the, you know, the grand final and all that. And my agent who was in the U.S. at the time, um, what was like, oh, you know, you had a great season. You won the grand final. We're going to get you a good job in Europe. And I said, no, I want to stay here in Australia. I love it. That's he was awesome. like, no, we're not. Yeah, he said, no, 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 we're going over there. And, and I said, no, I'm not. So <laughs> I called him up the next day and I said, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm going to have to fire you and uh, I'm getting an Australian agent. <laughs> wow, really? <laughs> yeah, because I felt like my uh, vision was a bit different than his. And, and I, yeah, I guess the rest was history there. So you talk about possibly wanting to go to Europe and then deciding you want to stay in Australia, but you, you did play a little bit in Europe what was the standard of of European ball like compared to the NBL at the time and and you won a championship there as well didn't you yeah well I I played in Puerto Rico uh, a couple years Um, and then yes then played in France and Spain Uh, we won the the French Cup but but like obviously the Spanish league is is isn't you know it's a top three league in the in the world probably yeah five but I, I don't know I don't know how guys measure that. It's right but, up, um, up there with the NBA or just behind yeah, the NBA, yeah. Yeah, but um, it's it's obviously a, a really good league and, and uh, I think it's a definitely a different style of play. It's more uh, structured uh, with sets and and it's not as free-flowing. You know, you look at the guys who average the most in the Spanish league are probably around that 14 to 15 mark and everyone plays about you know, 20, 20 minutes a game. In fact, Chris Golding was on my team. And um, yeah, so we, we had a lot of fun over there. Interesting connections, hey, where you, you meet through the times. Uh, it, re- it really is. And I think that's the beautiful thing about basketball is, um, yeah, the, the different peoples you meet, the different yeah connections, like you say, it, it makes it uh, so much fun. That's awesome. Was playing in the NBA ever something that you wanted to do? Was that ever a goal for you? Oh, it, it definitely was. I, I would have loved to. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, it, it didn't work out. But, like, I'm I'm pretty happy with, with how everything turned out. Um, just because I've gotten to experience so much, you know, um, with my family and, and been to some great places, met some great people. And, um, you know, I, I have really no regrets. And, you know, I, I felt like I worked really hard and, and held nothing back. So that's good enough for me. Yeah, for sure. Was there ever a stage where you could have played NBA? Was there ever um, any interest from any NBA clubs at any stage? Oh, uh, no, no. There's always that. Uh, you know, to play summer league, or I did a little workout with the, the Pacers, but there wasn't ever anything that was like, yeah, it was a really good chance. So um, I won't be embellishing that. Pro- I, I probably won't embellish that until I'm about forty or fifty. You know how they say, if you're not an all star by the time you're fifty, then then you're <laughs> never going to be one. Yeah. So. Okay. Maybe my stories will start getting better then. All right, fair enough. So after your stint in uh, Europe, you returned to the NBL in 2015. So you joined the Illawarra Hawks, uh, reuniting with with Rob Beveridge. Was was he the driving force in your return to Australia? Well, I think it was definitely positive. I think the driving force, to, to be honest, was we had a, a my son Benjamin in Paris when I was over there in France and then my daughter was born in, in Saragossa, Spain and then 
we got to a point where we were like, I kind of want to be around family. So it was tempting to go back to Spain. I loved it. But um, my wife's from, from Sydney, and we were like, let's, let's go back to Australia. So I think that was the main thing. And then obviously Bevo being there was, was a positive. Referee says, fellas, take a break. It's half time. Hey everyone, I just want to say a very big thank you to those who have engaged with A5Q. I really do appreciate all the support. I trust you're enjoying delving into all things Australian sport and hopefully you will continue to stick around. It would be a massive help if you could please do me a solid. Subscribe to the podcast and hit me up with a rating and a review. Gaining as much positive feedback as possible helps boost my visibility and it allows the podcast to be seen by other Australian sports tragics out there. Now, enough of that. Let's get back into it because the second half of A5Q is about to get underway. That one season you had in Illawarra was, was again, fantastic for you and, and great for the club. You win the Hawks MVP, uh, league MVP for a second time, and the Hawks finish third and come to within one game of making the grand final series. Uh, what are your memories from that that one and only season down there in Illawarra in 2015-16? Yeah, I had some great memories. I, I think, firstly, coming back from from Europe, um, we actually wanted to, to go to Sydney with the Kings, but you know they had about 50 owners at the time, and uh, and I guess the simple fact they said, "No, we we don't have a spot for you. We don't want you." So I was like, "All right, great. You know, let's let's go down to." Um, to uh, Illawarra and, and see what's going on down there. So I, I get there, you know, then um, uh, I talked to Kirk with, with Bevo and he comes on board. And then it was one of the more enjoyable seasons with, with the, the guys we had and obviously with our success from going, you know, I don't know if they were bottom or second bottom the year before to, to, um, to you know, doing pretty well. And, and our style of play was just, frantic shooting threes and and uh running gun it, it was a lot of fun that year so you said that you originally wanted to go to sydney is that that's obviously because your wife's from sydney she is but she actually lives um she was born kind of between uh in the shire area so that's kind of between sydney and illawarra okay um but uh yeah that just didn't work out and uh you know i don't hold grudges and um, I was pretty fortunate that um, the Illawarra situation worked out at the time. Definitely, and, and you did end up at Sydney, and we'll, we'll certainly get into that a bit later on. But just sticking on the 2015-16 season for the Hawks, so game one of the of the series uh, against your old club, Perth, or the, the, the semi-final series, you injured your ankle early in game one, and you missed game two. Um, and, and you were probably really lucky to, to be fit in time for game three. Uh, you were obviously one of Illawarra's key players. I know it's a, a, a team sport, but do you think if you were at the peak of your powers, you could have possibly been the difference? You know, I don't know. I think at the end of the day, to be honest, firstly, um, we lost the first game, and then the second game we beat them without me in, in Illawarra, so there you go for that. At the end of the day, Perth, especially the team they had at the time to win in Perth, it was going to be difficult either way, like really hard. So I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah, we would have won. It, um, who knows? Yeah, it's one of the great unknowns. But the next season, that's when you eventually get to the Sydney Kings. You said that they, they didn't have a spot for you a year prior. How did a spot open up for, for the next, or the 2016-17 season? Well, they um, they pretty much became a new organization in the fact that they had a new owner, um, new GM, new coach, everything. So I think they were rebuilding a team. I had just had a good season in in, um, in Illawarra. And uh, it was, you know, that's kind of how that came about. Yeah, because the Kings were kind of not really going anywhere before that season. They were kind of just hovering around sort of the bottom of the ladder and not really going anywhere as an organization. And Andrew Gaze takes over as the coach and you obviously join and you win the club MVP and you think you promote or you straight away um, given the captaincy. I'm really interested in this point of it because Andrew Gaze is of course 
uh, the, the best player we've seen here in the NBL, you know, two championships, seven times MVP. And a lot of people talk about he was the best player, best player, and I agree 100%. But people seem to kind of gloss over the fact that he was a coach as well. They don't really talk about that as much. What was your relationship like with Gazy, and what was he like as a coach? Well, firstly, you know, as a coach person, however you want to say it, Drew is he's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, uh, one of the most genuine guys, and uh, we always had a great relationship. Um, I think, like for everyone, for myself, for all the guys, it was really a new organization, new team. So there was a lot of work cut out for us. And uh, we had some, you know, some different personalities at times, which which made it interesting and fun. But uh, I have nothing but respect for, for Drewy and, and for, um, you know, the effort and commitment that he put in and, and all the coaches and, and players during that time. So um, it was, you know, it's pretty cool. You have the, uh, the best Australian player, um, you know, one of the best to, to play in Australia. And then, uh, you know, his knowledge and to, to be coached by him was, yeah, he's, um, and you don't get that every day. No, definitely not. No. Before we get into the final stretch of this incredible chat, we need to take a final break for three quarter time here on A5Q. Now, as I'm sure you're all aware, I love podcasting. It really is an enjoyable ride and a chance for me to share my passion to the world. So why don't you do the same? Whether it be a sports podcast like mine, a comedy podcast, an educational podcast, a movie, TV show, or gaming podcast, or even if you just want to get a few friends together for a weekly chat, it doesn't matter what your podcast is about. What matters is setting it up through Podbean. Podbean is the best and most certainly the easiest way to start a podcast. And the best part of it is it doesn't cost you an arm and a leg. If you hit up my special link at www.podbean.com slash A5Q, you'll have the choice of starting your brand new podcast for as little as $9 per month on an annual plan. Now that is an unbelievable price considering you'll get unlimited storage, beautiful podcast themes, you'll be able to map your own domain, comprehensive podcast stats and podcast monetization. Now guys, I tried to set up my podcast with a few other websites and just couldn't work it out. It was way too complicated, but Podbean was just so simple, so easy to use, and it produced the results for me. So definitely, if you've been thinking about starting your own podcast, but you've got no idea how to go about it, visit www.podbean.com slash A5Q and get started with Podbean today to join the Pod family. Or if it's easier, the link will be in the description below. But in the meantime, let's get back to the show. Sydney was a very interesting experience because you played with some unbelievable players you, through the journey. You played with Andrew Bogut, Jerome Randall, Jay Sean Tate, Brad Newley, Didi Lazada. The first couple of years you were there, you were down the bottom of the ladder, but then you had that big rise. You finished third, uh, lost the semi-final series, and then, of course, you had that remarkable season in, in 19-20. Andrew Bogut made a big difference when he came in. Um, you know, everyone talked about him basketball, but more so the way he helped make it a, a really professional environment. So uh, that played a huge role. And then we had some great imports um, coming. You, you mentioned, you know, JT and, and, and Casper Ware and, and those types of guys who, who really helped turn things around and, and obviously our Australian contingent was, was pretty good. You, you kind of get the best of both worlds with, with Bogues because you know he, he's done everything before but he's not this prima donna ex-NBA player who, who comes in and, and just a pretty boy. Like He is as true blue and, and gritty and tough as they come. So you had that side which, which he really helped develop but then He's seen how it's done at the very highest level. So I think, you know, those two aspects coming together really help change things. And then just little things, the competitiveness and practice, all that stuff played a, played a huge role in, in, I think, the Sydney Kings growth. The 2019-20 season. So that's your final season in the NBL. And you 
were injured for most of that so or a lot of that season. You came back for the grand final series. I'm re- I've really been interested to ask you this, you know, ever since you agreed to come on the show that grand final series against Perth. Now, of course, COVID-19 interrupts the whole world basically. The grand final series only lasts 3 games and then it's cancelled. Basically Perth win the the championship because at point of cancellation they were leading the series 2-1. Do you remember where you were when you found the news and how did that sit with you? Did you feel robbed? Did you feel it was unfair? Can you explain that emotion? Let me start by saying that we've taken extensive advice on this matter from the NBL Board of Directors, uh, members of our advisory board, FIBA, our international governing body, uh, and our external legal advisors for this particular matter, KNL Gates, and I thank all of them for the benefit of their insight and perspective. Having considered all of that advice, uh, we've concluded that there is only one outcome that is most appropriate in the circumstances of the league having made the decision to cancel games four and five of the final series. Uh, we feel that the rules set out in the NBL operations manual are, are clear in this regard. In this instance, games four and five were cancelled by the league due to unforeseen circumstances pursuant to rule 34 of the NBL operations manual. Consequently, the champions of the Hungry Jacks 2019-20 NBL season are the Perth Wildcats. Well, I think there are a lot of emotions because I knew halfway through that season that I was going to have to essentially medically retire. That was going to be my last game. You, you know, we had some idea it was going to be Bogu's last game. You know, Damian Martin retired from the other end. I think at the end of the day, we had four guys, four or five guys who were international guys who had to get back home. You know, all the boarders were starting to do do their thing. Not many people knew about this novel thing. So... You know, I think we we felt, you know, pretty at peace with with um, our decision when you know it was called off. But then after that, um, to be honest, I was like, I don't even remember where I was when I think it was, uh, yeah, when the NBL announced that Perth was going to win, and I really didn't feel anything because at the end of the day, I think we felt at peace that we were taking care of, especially our international guys. Um, so as for the result, like, I think we did what we had to do and, and you just move on. And I, I don't fault, I don't know what the right answer was as far as who gets what. And, and honestly, I, it's not like I, I care about it now either. I'll still ask you, do, do you see the Perth Wildcats as the rightful champions? Yeah, they, they are because they were named it, you know, and, and I guess at the end of the day, they were leading in the, in the series. So, and that's such a hard question to answer that, um, um, yeah, like I don't, I don't put any asterisks next to it. Like people say, it is what it is. And, and frankly, I've moved on <laughs> very quickly from that. <laughs> you seem to have just accepted it. Like, do you ever think, had this not happened, maybe you could have won the last two games or are you very much just, you've accepted that? Oh, I, you know, I, I definitely think we could have. The, the, the away team at that point had lost or had won every, every game, but that's irrelevant. I, I think throughout my whole career, I never based my self-worth, our team self-worth on how many championships I won or how many MVPs or how many awards. It was, how did I go about it? What was my process? Did I do the work? And if I did, boom, that's enough for me. And honestly, it was, it was that simple. I had no regrets. I'll let the people who, who, who are higher up make their decisions, and it's not going to bother me. So whether I had one uh, championship in the NBL or two or none, it, I did the work, and I'm happy with that. No, I definitely respect that, 100%. And that basically ends your NBL career. Did so you said that you basically had to medically retire. Did you want to continue playing or did you had you had enough anyway? I, I, I couldn't continue playing at the end of the day because of the surgery that was needed on my ankle after the season. Yeah, I really didn't have a choice. 
and which which made that conversation quite easy. I could have gotten it done during the middle of the season, but I was like, no, let's let's finish the season out and and then try and try and finish it out and then get it done after the season. So that's what I did, and yeah, still can't uh, can't run, but as long as I can keep up with my kids for the time being, I'm happy with that. Yeah, beautiful. Kevin, I just want to quickly talk about your, your international uh, career because, of course, um, naturalised, you, you represented Australia at the 2016 Olympic Games. Now, massive, massive moment for Australia there against Spain. Of course, the bronze medal game, the decision with uh, with Paddy Mills late in the game and, and you miss out on a medal. Um, I saw you there on the, on the bench. Um, I think you were next to Damien Martin and, and everyone was just shattered. I still remember that moment. How did you see that decision at the time? How do you see it now? And is that something at all that you look at and, and still disappoints you and upsets you? Australian must score. Baines, long range, hook shot. It crumbles. It's down. Australia take the lead. Less than 10 seconds to play. Rudy Fernandez will restart. Looks for Rodriguez. Against Oliver Dover. Confronted by Mills. A out of control. It won't go. Oh! Being called. A Blocking foul called on Australia. It was a late whistle, and the foul has been called on Mills, so free throws to come. Paddy Mills doing everything he can just to get out of the way. Rodriguez gets bailed out on the penetration. He makes the first. It was his first free throw in the game, an 80% free throw shooter coming in here. He puts Payne in front. 5.4 seconds remaining. Timeout called. Trail by a point. We stand. I'm sure there's many at home watching the screens of seven who are standing in Australia as well. They've lost the ball and it is going to go down. And Spain has prevailed a sad end to such a brave campaign. Spain win the bronze 89-88. Well, first of all, I don't don't think it was the right call, but (laughs) I think think we're we're definitely agreeing on that. But I think that's irrelevant right now. Once again, it 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 uh, it's unfortunate, especially you know you walk in the locker room after after the game and and you just I think for everyone it's just different when you're doing it uh, for your country as well and in the sense of kind of pride you feel, which just makes it 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 really tough. But um, then again, me seeing and and experiencing for myself and for other guys that that kind of agony and just that it, it just showed how much it really meant and, and really how special that moment in, in the whole two weeks in, in Rio and the lead up um, to get there was. So um, it was just an amazing, amazing experience. And what does it mean? And I, uh, as I said, I've had Sean Redditch on the show and I asked him this same question. What does it mean to someone who's not born in Australia to represent Australia. I mean, you know, obviously the the highest honor is to represent your country. What does it mean for someone like yourself who's not actually born in Australia to, to represent the country? Is it still that same sense of pride or is it a little bit different? It is that same sense of pride and and well, I can't speak for the other guys, but I think if I was on that team and the guys had seen me as an outsider, you know, just coming in, like it wouldn't have been as, I, I couldn't help. I couldn't help feel how special it was when these guys just open, you know, with open arms, welcome you into the team. You're one of them, and uh, and I think just there, the way they treated me, their reactions, I guess, to my unique situation um, was just so special, and, and really is is what what made it even more special to me. Awesome answer. I don't think I've ever seen the Australian team so devastated after a game. And, and listening to like the the interviews with uh, Dave Anderson and, and also Andrew Bogut, what was the locker room like after that particular game? Oh, I mean, like I said before, it was just, I guess you can't really explain it. Uh, there were all kinds of emotion. At the end of the day, it was just, I think it was, <laughs> you, you just are speechless. You, you can't explain it. Agony and, and, uh, um, guys are exhausted, um, but seeing that, it just it just made the moment even more special. And the fact that you just saw how much it it really meant, which was um, 
which was really an eye opener, and uh, and you knew it, but then to to see it, even even in a in a losing situation like that is is um is a really um, a really interesting experience when you look back on it. Yeah, and and still still now five years later, that's the highest, the equal highest Australia's ever finished on an international stage. They still haven't won a medal. Um, uh, what what do you think the chances are for for the Boomers coming up into to the to the Tokyo Games uh, this year? Uh, I, I mean, you look at our team, and we have as good a chance as, as anyone in better um, with the talent. In, in in what makes Australia great is is that camaraderie, that sense of pride, that that grittiness, um, that toughness, and and I think Australia ticks all the boxes for that. And I'm really looking forward to to watching the guys and and in tournament play, it's it's always interesting, and you got to be ready to to go right away. But I think that's the strength of our team, Kevin. Um, just well, just now as we are about to close up, now I just got three last questions for you. I always ask my guests these three questions. Who is the best player you ever played with and why? Who is the best player you ever played against and why? And lastly, who is the best coach you ever played under and why? Oh, gosh. The best player I've played with and why? Oh, gosh. Man, you kind of put me on the spot here. <laughs> Every, um, yeah, it's a very difficult question. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a really tough one. Um, I guess... Even though Bogues was, wasn't at his, his prime, you'd have to go with him or, um, geez, yeah, I guess, I guess you'd have to go with him just because of like the things he could do as a big man, um, were just pretty amazing. Even, even at the end of his career, the best player I've played against, uh, man, there's, there's been a few, few really good players. I think, you know, Milo Tidosic, uh, Serbia, um, uh, Darren Williams, and when I went on recruiting trips, he went to Illinois and played for a long time in the NBA. Um, Sergio Rodriguez, I always thought he was he was so good for, for Spain. I really liked his game. So, I mean, those are guys that just come to mind right now. And then my best coach... And I'll have to say my dad growing up, can't go past that. Um, I've had a lot of really good coaches, but yeah, I'm not ready to single anyone out because I'm a coach right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally not understandable. Easy, nah, that's fine. <laughs> awesome. No, it's not look, easy. No. I, uh, Kevin, look, it's been fantastic to have you on. I really appreciate you. I respect you very highly. And it's been great to have you on the show. You're a gentleman. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast tonight. Thanks, Dan. I really appreciate it. And that's a wrap. Thank you to everyone for tuning into A5Q. Don't forget to spread the word, subscribe, leave a rating. Until next time, old sport.